Well, welcome tonight to what I've called Deeper Streams. You, some of you hadn't heard that yet. Some of you that are my Facebook friends, you may have heard that already. And um, what is Deeper Streams? Well, I was praying about what we were going to do for the new year, and I pray about what happens in church as well. And uh, I know that many people make New Year's resolutions. Um, they want to you know, get on track spiritually. It's a brand new year. It's a clean slate. Let's put some things in order. I know that happens. It happens in all of our lives. And, and those, those are good things. And it's a good time to do it. And as I began to think about that, I thought about how many people's resolution is that, you know, I want to read my Bible. I, I need to read my Bible more. I wish I understood it better. I, I, I'd really like to go a little deeper. I, I don't have the tools, I don't understand, I struggle. You, you know, there could be any one of a number of reasons uh, that you have impediments to go in that direction. But I started thinking about you, and I said to myself, you know, I believe God's saying something here. And so on Wednesday night, uh, we're going to do something that's called Deeper Streams. Now, the structure of it doesn't change any. I mean, we're going to worship a little bit like we've been doing. But when we get to this moment... And again, the kids will have their thing going on. But when we get to this moment, let's just start digging. I mean, there's something in me. Now, I like preaching and I like exhorting, but there's something in me, and I think it's a God stir, that I'm ready to start digging some more again. And I go through seasons like that. I just start digging again. And uh, something about that just fulfills a hunger and it quenches a thirst. And hopefully that'll be the case uh, for you as well. I would like, I, I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to do PowerPoint for this. So tonight, I told Matt, I said, we're going to do this on the spot. It's going to be spontaneous, and I'll just tell you when to change the slide. Uh, because I don't know what's coming next. Usually they have a little outline they can go by back there, and so they kind of know what page uh, I'm on, but they don't have any idea. So uh, we're just going to figure this out as we go along. But, but I didn't want the notes to impede us. From, from grabbing hold of some important things. So we're going to do this, and I decided that we were going to work in Second Peter. So Matt, go ahead and switch the slide, Second Peter. You may say, why? Why do you want to start in a book like Second Peter? Number one is it's the one that was interesting to me <laughs> as we started the new year. So I figured as long as I got to be here on Wednesday night, it ought to interest me at least. So, um, and if it interests me, hopefully it'll interest you. But I started thinking about Second Peter, and you know, we had done the postcard series several months ago, out of uh, you know Second, Third John, and then Jude, and how God used these as postcards to His church. And I like uh, doing things like this because uh, number one is you you can you can do it, and about the time you're starting to lose interest in it, it's done. You can change to something else. And so for Second Peter, I just you know I thought it was a short book and. And we can complete it in a, in a fairly short period of time. And uh, we can feel like we're getting somewhere. But the other reason uh, that I wanted to just talk about Second Peter is because, I don't know about you, but Peter just kind of fascinates me. And he's always been the biblical character that everybody seems to generally like because at some level they can identify with him. You understand? He, you know, for those that labored, you know, he was a fisherman. And he labored. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a smart guy he was he was an uneducated so if if perhaps you know you haven't been well educated you can identify with peter because god used him big time despite there was little education 
uh, in his life. Some people like Peter because they know that when the pressure was on, he cussed. And they say, well, that makes them feel better. Because every now and then, you know, one of those high-stress words can spring out of our mouth. And we know we ought not do it, but there's Peter. He did it, and the Lord still redeemed him, and, and he was still able to be, to be used. And so Peter, Peter's just this person that, for whatever reason, everybody identifies with. And, and as he begins here in this letter to write, uh, you can see how he's matured and how he's reflected on many, many things. And so I, 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 that just interested me. The other reason I like Second Peter, it deals with our current day. We're going to go through here, and there's going to be some amazing uh, topics that you're going to read. And just as you read it, you're going to say, that's today. That's, that's as relevant as right now. And you won't even need me to make the link. You'll just read it, and you'll go, wow, I see that this very day. And, and the other thing I thought was that as he's writing, he's writing to a people that are being persecuted for their faith, um, uh, people who are literally under Nero's rule. I'm going to come back to Nero in just a moment. But, but they're literally under a, a guy's rule that, that is killing them and trying to extinguish the church, literally. Um, along with that, there are false teachers he talks about. He talks about uh, false instruction and how that has entered. Can you, can you imagine being under persecution and then having to endure false instruction? And then he goes into the whole end time scenario, which ultimately he uses in order to give people some hope. That even, you know, if you die, he'll say in his first letter that God has provided a place for you. He's reserved, literally says, a place in heaven. He reminds them of this. And he does similar things here. And for those who uh, may have to endure that persecution, he leaves them with the idea that there's coming a day that Jesus will come and he will write all these wrongs. So it's just a fascinating book. It's only three chapters long. And I thought, all right, we can, we can plow through this and um, we can get somewhere with this. All right? So Second Peter. Go ahead, Matt. Switch the slide. This is what he's going to say. Just remember this. Beware, but grow. That's going to be the theme of the whole book. He's going to look at Christian people and he's going to say, I'm telling you, you need to beware but you're still required to grow. In other words, as, as you're being cautious, it cannot paralyze you. As, as you're considering what is happening to you and what's being taught, and, and whether you're being persecuted for the faith or whether a false teacher comes along, you need to be on your toes, you need to understand what's going on, you need to beware, but that does not mean you don't keep growing. In fact, I, can I just suggest that maybe... Those moments can be the most growing moments in your life. I have learned far more in the tough times than I have in the favored times. If, 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 if the seasons are changing for pastor, let's say, and, and, and there's a season of favor that's coming, which I'm more than happy to have that season, but I'm smart enough to know this, I probably won't learn a lot. I'll get to enjoy a lot. And, and I'll get to praise God a lot and thank God a lot, and that's great. But I'm telling you, you learn in the tough times. That's where you learn. If everything is always smooth in your life, what happens subtly is deception 
slips in. Because, because you, be, you begin to think that either you deserve it, you begin to think that, that somehow that's just the way God just has designed it for you. And then whenever any challenge comes along, you think it's the devil or you think somehow, you know, maybe uh, you've done something wrong. And, and those things can be a part of it. But I'm telling you, God allows tribulation to come because he knows pain is one of the few teachers we will learn from. I wish that weren't so. I wish it weren't so for me. I'd like to think that I'm old enough now and getting wiser that I'll learn things before I have to experience pain. But you know, that's just not a human being, really. I mean, some of us will. I'm not saying we learn everything, but can we just be honest? I heard the amens. Most of us here learned it through pain. Our parents tried to tell us, didn't they? I mean, we didn't listen, so we learned it by pain. Pastor tried to tell us. My pastor tried to tell me a few things. Didn't want to hear it. I learned it, though. Pain. I mean, just, it's just pain as a teacher. So when pain comes your way, I know it's not fun, you don't like it, but at least when it comes your way, say, I know I'm going to learn something here. Praise God. I'm about ready to get taught. And, and, and I've got such pain going on, I can't imagine the wisdom I'm going to get out of this one. It'll change your whole view of pain, won't it? So beware, uh, but grow. All right, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read four verses, and we'll see if we get very far here. 2 Peter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, he's a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, and if you'd like to write in your Bible... Um, and I hope you do, or, or bring the Bible you can write in, or go buy you a, 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 don't go buy a leather-bound one, but go buy a hardback Bible somewhere, like this one. The reason I got a hardback Bible is because it didn't cost as much, and then I didn't feel as bad writing in it. So, because I figure if I write all over it, I can go buy me another one. All right, so if you have your Bibles, and bring your Bibles Wednesday night, all right, I know we put it on the screen, but bring your Bible Wednesday night. Because there's going to be some time in your house that you're going to be looking for a verse somewhere that if you underlined it or circled it in your Bible, you will be able to find it, but that screen isn't going with you. So bring your Bible and underline to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied you ought to circle multiplied so you've circled obtained multiplied to you in the knowledge of god and of jesus of jesus our lord as his divine power has given to us all things that's another good one to circle all things means yeah all things All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given to us exceedingly great. I mean, these just aren't great. These are exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust all right if we get through all of this tonight that will be a miracle amen peter second letter short three chapters peter says here as we get started that he's an apostle 
of Jesus. I've just, I've typed out and written some notes, and I'm just going to go through some things that have leapt out at me, and hopefully they'll be meaningful uh, to you. Uh, I want you to remember Peter is the guy who started out, just a reminder, he was a fisherman. He was then discipled, which by the way, I believe the disciples, and this will be a neat theological point maybe we can pick up later, but we've often, or it has been often asked, when did the disciples get saved? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about when the disciples got saved? I mean, just think about that. Don't, don't shout it out because you may be wrong. Have you ever thought about when the disciples got saved? We got in a big old argument one time at school about when the disciples got saved. I mean, when were they really saved? Because you understand they were in kind of an unusual time period. I mean, they were in this time period that everything was transitioning out of Old Covenant now into New Covenant. So it was an unusual kind of historical time period because Jesus shows up and, of course, everybody under an Old Covenant, and again, I'm just, these should be things, hopefully, that have been sowed into you through the years. You understand that even under an Old Covenant, it was not the blood of the bulls and the goats that were atoning for sin. Now, I know they were sacrificing, and, and, and that was what God said. But you, you need to understand that it wasn't their blood that was atoning for them. In the Old Covenant, they would sacrifice these animals. They would bring their blood. Yes, they would. But the Bible says that Abraham was made righteous, not through the blood of bulls and goats, but by what? Yeah, by, by his faith. So what that means is, as they were bringing the blood and the sacrifices to the temple... They were literally faithing forward using these symbols of of bulls and goats and sheep, but they were believing forwards in faith for the Messiah who was to come, who would be the perfect lamb slain. And the Bible says he he was slain once before the foundation of the world. So, So the cross is at work not just at its moment, historical moment forward, now to us, but that cross and its work existed forwards and backwards. Are you following me? See, you don't get saved any other way except through the cross. Now, Jews were made righteous under an old covenant, but understand how they were made righteous. It was not through the blood of bulls and goats, but they'd not seen the Messiah. They didn't even, they don't know half of what we know. But as they presented the sacrifices, literally they were faithing forward to the blood that would be shed for them that would bring atonement to them. So you understand, it was still, they were being saved by grace through faith. But what happened was, of course, it got twisted and, of course, corrupted until finally uh, they thought it was the religious ritual. And they lost all concept of this being, it was their ritual, it's what they did. And they no longer even considered, you know, the the atoning work of the cross. So, So I tell you all that to simply say that here we are in this unusual time period because now it's all shifting in history. It's no longer theory. It's shifting in history. And uh, here's the disciples. So when did they get saved? Did they get saved? The moment Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me. Is that when they got saved? Maybe. Did they get saved when, when uh, uh, they were there at the end? Let's just say after the resurrection, because I can guarantee you when they were scattering at the crucifixion, they all backslid then. So if they were, they were just, they were going every which direction. But 
but, but when they all gathered up again, and it was after the resurrection, and he looks at them, and uh, he's with them, and then eventually, I believe it's John 20, 23, I don't have it written down, so if it's not right, forgive me, I believe it's somewhere in there where it says that Jesus blew on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Maybe that's when they were saved. Or others teach that when they got to the day of Pentecost, it was at that moment as they were in the upper room um, and the Holy Spirit was dispensed in that amazing way. Maybe, maybe that's when they were saved. I don't know that we may answer that to everyone's satisfaction, and I'm not sure that I'd go to the mat on, on any of those. I think you could make a pretty good case probably uh, for any of those. I, I, I will say this, though, that my personal uh, feeling is, is number one, you know, nobody, nobody drops their nets, leaves their business on one call without something dramatic happening in their heart. I, I, mean, I mean, it's hard enough to get Christians to follow Jesus. I mean, Christians won't, wouldn't hardly give up a vacation. <laughs> give up your business. Give up your life. Come on, they left their family. You say, really? Yeah, that's why Peter looked at the Lord one time and he said, we've given up family for you. Can you imagine that? And they're not saved? I think, it's, again, it's an unusual time period. But I think something was working in them and I do believe it was completed when he blew on them because at the day of Pentecost, that, I don't believe that was their salvation moment. I believe that was the birth of the church. And uh, that, was, that was their endowment moment, their empowering moment. But, uh, but here's Peter. I mean, he's this, he's this guy, though, that he's, he's sacrificed incredibly for the things of God by dropping his nets and following the Lord. He's, he's been with them for three years. He's being discipled. That's why we call him a disciple. He's being discipled. And then all of a sudden, the pressure gets put on him, and we find out what's in him and most of them, and they all scatter every which direction. And he's cussing at the fire. And uh, I've often had people come to me and they've said to me, they said, oh, pastor, this week, you know, the kids have made me so mad. And I was yelling at them and I just, I, you know, I said something I ought not say. Well, all right, you're Peter. Congratulations. You know, what do I say? Peter got right. Get right. He uh, was able to get back into uh, favor uh, by the mercies of of the Lord as he reached out to him. And then, and then finally, Peter becomes the bishop of Rome. He becomes, and not bishop in the Catholic sense. I know when we hear that, we, 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 we may have our Catholic ears on, but I'm not using uh, Catholic terminology. There was no Catholic. There was no Lutheran. There was no Pentecostal. I, I mean, they were all Pentecostal back in those days. I mean, um, but he was the overseer, the episcopio. He, he was the one that watched over, and, and he was in Rome, and it was while he was there that he ultimately gives his life. When he feared his life for the Lord, ultimately he ends up giving his life for the sake of the gospel. He was literally crucified upside down. If you, if you haven't heard the story, uh, when Nero finally grabbed him, he did not want in any way uh, to be remembered as his Lord. Uh, he didn't want him to be venerated or to be worshipped, and so he, he was to be crucified, and he, he asked that he be crucified upside down in order that uh, no one would ever uh, think that that was an emulation of what Jesus did. Probably, probably a real wise thing he did, because just knowing how we always emulate and want to have our hero worshipers, and, but he pointed even at his death, 
to Jesus. So here's, here's Peter. It says that he's a bondservant. He's an apostle. Um, we've talked a little bit in our church about uh, apostolic and, and apostles. I believe that apostles are still around. Um, and I, I'm not, this isn't a teaching on apost, uh, the apostle or the apostolic. You know, Paul never walked with Jesus, and yet he was an apostle. Um, you, you say, well, you had to have seen Jesus, and I know that he did on the Damascus Road, but no one else did. So who's to say you can't have a vision of Jesus even today if that's the qualifying stamp of approval uh, or have a revelation of him today? Uh, but Paul wrote in Ephesians that the apostles would hang around until we all came to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So I believe apostles are still around. And he refers to himself as an apostle. Now, let me just share this with you. I know in the day and age that we're living in that there are lots of people who gravitate toward titles. And, and I think titles have a purpose, but you have to be careful with them. Because sometimes everybody wants a title and they just grab a title, but once they have the title, the goods aren't there. And you see, you can't have a title without... And, and it's really not a title. It's really a job description that, that's allowed to be used, I think, as a place of, of uh, deference or honor. So I understand you, most people here call me pastor. And the reason you call me pastor isn't because I don't know it. That was a joke. I, I, so um, you, you do it probably because it's deference and respect and honor. And I appreciate that. And we've tried to develop a culture of honor in that way. We try to teach our kids that they should refer to the youth pastor and the pastors as such. We try to teach them to, to call adults Mr. or Mrs. or Ms., um, whatever the case may be. And we do that uh, not because they need a title, but we do that because there's an appropriate place of honor. But we know in the day we live in, there are people scrambling for a title because once they get a title, they feel better about themselves. And once they get their title, they feel like you know they have arrived or that's their position or whatever the case may be. It's really important that we just sort of set the tone that as Peter says, I'm a bondservant and an apostle, he could say that because he had the goods. You know, you can call yourself anything, but if you don't have the goods, unfortunately, most people know it already, and maybe you're the last one to know it. Um, You know, I don't walk around saying, hey, you know, I'm a prophet or I'm an apostle. If if that's going to happen, that'll happen. And usually others will begin to recognize it maybe before you even recognize it. But there is an appropriate place of coming to the place of identifying that, you know, this is who I am. Um, It doesn't make me better than anybody else. It doesn't make me more spiritual. In fact, you can have a a calling, a full-time calling, and you may not be as spiritual as other people. And that is often the case. Uh, But calling is not linked to how spiritual you are. Calling is linked to the sovereign God tapping you, saying, I want you. That's what calling is about. And there comes a moment when you simply say, this is what I was designed to do. I was designed to do this. I was designed to be this. I can remember when I left the denomination I was a part of for years back in 1989. And uh, there was a short interval there that if I wanted to eat, I had to go work. It's, it's Bible. If a man won't work, let him not eat. So I had to go work, and I, there, was, there wasn't any ministry. I left the ministry, so to speak, in order to find God's next open door. And so you've heard the stories. I rode grain trucks for Spartan Grain. Uh, and did some work for them. I sold suits at J.C. Penney's. At night, I, I cleaned out offices, and we vacuumed and cleaned up and tended to people's offices. 
And, and I remember during that time, I knew that I couldn't do these kind of jobs forever. You needed to do something that would, you know, be like a career. Because at that time, I didn't know if God was ever going to open a door again for me to do ministry in my life. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew, you know, I, I was working three jobs, doing my best to pay the bills and keep the food on the table. Uh, but I knew I needed to get some sort of career that I could do so we could, you know, prosper and make a way. So I remember there were a couple job interviews that I went to. Uh, and, you know, I'd fill out the resume and, and uh, give it to them. And, you know, I'd put the tie on. You've heard all the stories. Wear the suit. Try to be sharp. Want the job. And I remember just two, three times this happened. Uh, the interviewer would look at me and he said, well, we'd really like to hire you. But I'm not sure you're going to be here six months from now. I said, well, why do you, why, what do you mean? He said, well, just as I visit with you, I can tell you, you, you got preached just kind of dripping all over you. And I mean, it's not like we, we don't think you couldn't do the job or we don't want you to do the job, but I don't want, I don't want to hire it. And then six months later, you're not here. And, I, and, and he said, so would you, this is what one of them said, he said, would you commit to me that this, you, you won't go back into the ministry. That's what one of them said to me. Because, and, and, but, and understand what he was saying, because I, I, I know what you're thinking. And I understand, totally. Because that's kind of where I was on the other side of the table. But what he was saying is, is that I want some assurances that if I make this higher, I'm not going to lose you in just a few months after investing, you know, he's going to invest money and training and, and, and all the things that he's going to do. And he doesn't, I mean, I, so I kind of understand what he was trying to say. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, wow, this is my moment. This is it. And I looked at him, and I said, if I recall right, I I said, listen, I don't know what I'm doing 30, 60 days. I don't know what I'm doing a year from now. I don't know what I'm doing 10 years from now. All I know is i got to eat today. That's all I know, is that I'm looking for a way to work, to eat, and I can tell you this that I will give you, in integrity, the best I have. But I, I cannot sit at this table and say that would never be a possibility because I just, you know, I'd already learned never, you know. You never say never. And he goes, well, I'm sorry, I, I, I just can't do it. And, some, and I learned through that, though, that, that it, you, you don't have to run it up a flagpole. You don't have to tell everybody that, well, I'm this or I'm that, you know. It, if, if the goods are under the hood, they'll hear the roar of the engine. Isn't that good? I just thought of that right there. <laughs> Somebody take notes and post that on Facebook somewhere, all right? That's a Facebook post right there. Because <laughs> I just forgot what I said. <laughs> all right? So he calls himself an apostle. Apostle. Not a self-appointment thing. God had called him to be an apostle. It was written to those... 726. And we're not halfway through verse 1. Have mercy. All right, let me, let me finish with Nero, though. I've got to finish who he's writing to in Nero. He's writing that the church has been scattered. In fact, if you'll read the first couple verses of the first letter to Peter, or first letter from Peter, it'll tell you I'm writing this to the dispersed ones. You've been dispersed all over Cappadocia and Asia and Achaia. And, and they've been dispersed. And the reason they've been dis- dispersed is because Nero has come to the throne. And Nero is demon-possessed. 
I mean, you can't do what Nero did and not be demon-possessed. He, uh, he was so paranoid and filled with fear that um, he would have uh, people killed just on whims because he feared that somehow they would try to usurp uh, his throne. In fact, uh, the, the saying about Nero fiddling while Rome burned was literally he burned sections of the town in order that he could divert people's attention from his paranoia and his craziness and 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 it was really a true generally a true story that that he just he would wreak murder and havoc and it just demon possessed um i i have a sermon and i haven't done it in years that i talk about all the different methods of neronian uh, persecution uh he would he would impale christians on crosses impale them in his gardens and set them on fire and then he would walk through his gardens at night in order that he could uh, uh, enjoy his garden while people were burning, impaled on crosses. That was one of his forms of death. He would wrap uh, Christian believers in uh, animal skins, wrap, rope them and wrap them in animal skins, put them in the Colosseum and loose the lions upon them. And the lions who... Uh, you know, whether they would have been hesitant with a human being or not, the fact that they smelled of another animal because of these, they would literally be torn that way, uh, limb from limb. Uh, again, I just want to, I want to just share with you the cost uh, of the early church and what they provided for you and me to be here today. He created uh, what he called a slide, literally razor, uh, razor sharp slide that Christians he would take and put at the top of the slide and let them go down this razor and they would literally be cut in two. You cannot, you, you, it would take a demonically inspired mind to think of those types of tortures and to know that that is what you would be facing as a believer as you were brought into Roman courts and to be asked to recant your faith and you would be set free or knowing if you held true to your faith that is what you would go to. You understand almost all of them refused to recant. And that's why literally hundreds of thousands of believers gave their life for the sake of the gospel. We have no clue here in America. We think persecution, our kids think persecution is when they put a Jesus sticker on their locker and then everybody teases them. And we call that persecution. Or you go to work and you pray over your lunch and everybody gigs you and you don't know whether you can work there anymore. You understand? We're just defining persecution. So when we, when we look at one another and we say, suck it up, think about the saints who are in the stands, that so great a cloud of witnesses, who's watching you and I run our race. Boy, it puts some things in perspective, doesn't it? But it was through that. that that's the most amazing thing, is that God, through the blood of the martyrs, used that, in order to cause his church to arise. And while I am as concerned as anyone is about the state of our culture and the direction it's going, and I think we have a responsibility because I believe America has a destiny in God, and, and historically I believe that we have a responsibility to do our best to maintain its godly roots and heritage, and I will do my best uh, to be a voice that helps uh, maintain that or even recapture that. But having said that, can I just say this to you? 
that if there's ever a day that they look at you and me and they say that we can't pray somewhere, we've got to have the temerity to say we must obey God rather than man. I'm just telling you. We must obey God rather than man. And, and I don't know that our generation will see it, and I don't know that my kids' generation will see it, and I don't know, that as fast as things are moving, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm just saying there will come a day if America does not come to its senses and if we do not have an awakening and if this nation is not turned and if the pulpits do not become aflamed again with righteousness that that day will come. It will come. Now, the good news in that is that if we will still maintain our testimony, God will send revival and He will cause us to prosper in these things. See, you send the church to the catacombs and it'll still take over the culture, which is exactly what happened. So these are the people that Peter's writing to. And I'm going to stop there and we'll pick it up next time. All right? When he talks to them about so great and precious promises. Amen. Stand with me and we'll pray and I'll cut you loose.